PulverQuest, live from the heart of Brooklyn. PulverQuest is a weekly podcast about everything in and relating to technology with two techno experts, Joel Cox Hello. and me, Eric Newman. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of PulverQuest. And Joel, I can't believe it's actually letting us record this time. Jesus Christ. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Are you? I'm okay. Or is that just something that you say to avoid telling, spending half an hour telling how, uh, telling me how much trouble you're in? Yeah, we'll go with that. Cool. All right. Well, then, thank you very much for listening. No, it's, see, that's why it's important that I have the mixer working, so it can be ridiculous. You know? I agree. Yeah. So then I could just be like, "So, Joel, tell us about." Oh, so I'll stop. Uh, nice to see you. Same. Or you know, hear you. I guess. Uh. What's uh, what's doing? I've been to hell and back over the last few weeks. I'll give all of you fine listeners an update. Uh, but first, I'm going to hear from you, Joel. I am working on some... Well, that's very nice. So about... No, I'm kidding. Please. Well, I've been playing with some, uh, some 3D printing, making a game controller. And oh, yeah? yeah? Like a USB game controller? Yep. I have a Azeron clone that I 3D printed last year. And I finally got the guts to try and make my own the way I want it. So the last two weeks, I've been rapidly proto- prototyping, printing. A what again? Sorry. Rapidly prototyping. No, the the what the cl- the. Azeron. Sounded like Acer clone. Azeron. Azeron. Yep. How do you spell it? A z e r o n. Okay, I would say Azeron. They want a hundred. They want hundred eighty dollars for this controller. Ooh. And I. And it's a USB gaming controller. Yes, it's using a Teensy controller and three D printed parts. That's that's the what is it Azeron? Yep. That, so they're used, they're selling a three D printed controller for one hundred and eighty bucks when you could, if you had a three D printer, just do it yourself. Yep, which I did. Which you did. Okay. Do you have any pictures to share? Uh, I mean, you know, not for the listeners, but so I can see it. Yeah, I can send you some a little bit later. Cool. Um, how's that? How's that working out? Well, I finally got everything wired up, and now I gotta actually program the controller because I was just gonna ask, like, do you have to do the, you have to do like the PCB construction as no, well? No, it's or? all um, wire wrap because I'm using one to one pins. Oh. So the Tinsy has about forty six pins I can use. I only need thirty, so it's all directly mm-hmm. wired to it. So and there's no uh, board creation, fortunately. And can it handle things like multi tap or you know whatever it's called with the like what the real gamers do? Yeah, it's all done in code. Basically, it goes through an array, checks them every like millisecond. So there's no. So even being software based, it actually doesn't have latency. No, I just basically huh. I have to basically the, the first one I did I had to adjust the the debounce, but apparently there's libraries for that now sure. that does it automatically. What is it? What do you write that in? Is it Python? Is it like assembly? What is it's it? It's Arduino C. Oh. Also known as AC. I guess. Probably. I'll stop. Uh, that's cool. So what is so you can use it as just a regular controller for any game. It shows up as a keyboard. So smart. Yeah. Just like just like the the heavy mouses. Heavy mouses? What am I? Heavy mice. Jeez. You don't do a podcast for four weeks, you forget how to talk. So uh, that's cool. So what is a game that you would that's the top of mind that you want to use with the controller that you make? So I play a game called Destiny 2 with my friend in the UK. And my biggest problem with gaming is fat fingering the keys because you know you can't you can't, sure. can't really look down and right. fingers easily like slide off the keys. So the way this controller is set up, my hands basically set on a bunch of keys. I just gotta 
tap or wiggle my finger a certain direction to get, have them work. So nice. I, I always thought the sequel to Destiny would be Destiny's Child, but all right, I'll stop. I'll stop. Uh, I gotta get these bad puns out. You know, it's. Sad. I appreciate them actually. Thank. It's more shtick than you can shake a stick at. Say that ten times fast. Um, so how how how's everything else going? How's Pittsburgh? Uh, cold. We got a flash of snow on Tuesday, which was not fun. Hey, that's no. It is fun. It's been seventy degrees. It's been so warm. But this we're November, not, we usually don't get snow till December or January. One of the years I lived in Pittsburgh, it snowed in October, and I was so happy, so happy. Yeah, you have to understand. I'm from South Florida. It is the opposite of Pittsburgh. It's on the coast. It has a tropical climate, and it's flat. Pittsburgh, and it's too sunny. And I was all too happy to move from Florida to Pittsburgh. Now, 11 years ago. Um, mostly because, and, and on my birthday, instead of being 95 degrees in Orlando, it was 45 degrees in 2012 on my Memorial Day birthday. And I was so happy. So happy. Yeah, it's just, I like things to be on the schedule they're supposed to be. And this is ahead of schedule, so... You know, it's also behind schedule because it's been so warm, but we don't need to talk about that. That's not a weather podcast. Um, you're going through a couple of personal things. You want to leave that out of the show? or do you Yeah, wanna... we'll leave that out. All right, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, how's how's uh, your NAS stuff? Last time we chatted, you had it. You, you had it. I need to stop this. I haven't even... Anyway, uh, so you had some trouble with your NAS um, and something else. It was like some networking thing, right? Yeah, so I... Bought a new motherboard and I got some parts off of eBay and built my. Does the new motherboard come with a new processor or is it the same processor? new processor? What is it? Um, it's a new to me i7. I forget what the numbers are for. I don't even know how to track those processors anymore because i7's been around for like twelve years. Yeah, it's it's a fairly. I think it's a seventh generation, sixth. I can't remember. Yeah, I've, I mean, it's obviously new, but I, you know, yeah. it's not like back in the day when you had Pentium and Pentium 2 and Pentium 3, and you were like, oh, 3 is bigger than 2. Yeah. So yeah. I have some friends at a previous Java recycling company that got me some parts, and I basically built a, a bare-bone machine to do NATs and everything. Nice. And I found out that software, uh, software Linux raids can be moved to another machine and picked up, which I was unaware oh, yeah. of. And that's what I'm doing with my NAS, actually. I have a ZFS RAID in Ubuntu. Because uh, remember I was telling you I had that USB issue where I didn't have enough speed to do anything worthwhile? Right. Well, now that everything's plugged directly into the motherboard, I moved those drives ah. over, it found it, and rebuilt itself, and it took me four days to transfer all my media, but I got it done. Is your RAID, like, SATA, or is SATA. it uh, M2? SATA. Or? Oh, okay. I can't afford M2 RAID. That's just insanity. They're not that expensive. I mean, it depends on how much size, how, how much space you want, but M2s are surprisingly cheap these days. Well, I'm using uh, four four terabyte drives, so. Oh, yeah, you can't. M2 is going to be. I just bought a two terabyte for like 150, I think, about a month ago. That's incredible. Yeah. Do you trust drives that are that large? Because I remember there, there was a thing, and this is, you know, one of those things that dates, dates me or dates us. But like ten years ago, they said you don't don't get a drive over two terabytes because the error correction ex exceeds 
the like the signal to noise with the error correction is higher or is too is prohibitively high, so it can lead to data corruption. That is why I went, but, went with raid because if I lose a drive, oh, so you're raiding two terabytes together. If, okay. if I raid the drives together and I lose one drive, I shut it down, put a new drive in, it rebuilds itself. So you basically built your own Drobo. Yeah. Are you doing ZFS? I am doing ext4. Oh, what does that offer? I mean. It was, I didn't know enough to know about ZFS at the time, and I was too, a little bit too late to tr convert it over. Sure. Sure. One of my friends helped me, uh, helped me set it up, and he is a bouffant, a super geek, uh, and so he's, he, he's the reason why I did ZFS. Was, Z, but, was uh, ZFS the one where the guy murdered his wife? What? Phil Spector? There was a, there was a meme about one of the, um, file systems. That he murdered his wife, and it's like, well, you murder your wife, you use this file system. That came out of nowhere, Joel. I have not heard that before. I'll have to I have not heard that before, dude. I'll, I'll have to look it up and send it to you. But there was—is it like Phil Spector file system? File system. Now I gotta look. Murder. Yeah, that's gonna get. That's really gonna help with the the engagement. Which file system makes you want to murder your wife? Hans Riser. Yes, Riser. That's it. Is an American computer programmer, entrepreneur, and convicted murderer. Oh, that was the wrong one. Let me try that again. And convicted murderer. Yeah. All right. Uh, he's a boomer. Uh, in 2008, Riser was convicted of first-degree murder of his wife, Nina, who disappeared in September 2006. He created the Riser FS file system, which I've heard of which may be used by the Linux kernel as well as its attempted successor, Riser 4. Huh. Well, you know, everybody talks about, every programmer talks about what happens when they have their mental breakdown. This is what this guy did. I'm not saying it's okay, no, it's but, okay. you know, I kind of... Of course it's not okay, but, you know, it happens. It's like you one day you just, you have enough BS writing code and probably dealing with, like, low-level Linux garbage, and then he just snapped. Did you take the trash out? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I already garbage collected the kernel, honey. Why do you need me to garbage collect the real garbage? Like, that's, yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, that's uh. That's my TIL for today. Jeez, really brings down the the tone of the conversation. Would you ever murder your wife for a file system, Joel? Oh no! All right. I'll no, stop. no, no. Yeah, I'll stop. Um. Let's 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 get something. Yeah. So anyway, now I feel now I'm really down. I'm just like really like really just kind of. Yeah, let's get some 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 happiness in here. How about uh, something like? So Joel, today we're gonna talk about AI art. That's right. Computers are now generating the art by themselves. When will they end up in MoMA? Will Bjork actually create a horrible sculpture with AI? Who knows? The wonderful world of the 21st century continues right after the. Okay. See now it's all you know happy again. Yes. So, um, yeah, uh, before we get to that, I'll just tell you, I'm going to get, I'm going to run down the list of things that have happened to me since we did the last show. Can I ask questions or are you just going to run down the list? You can ask questions, uh, but it's just going to make it longer. So, uh, I quit my job. I never like talking about my job because I'm supposed to be this Michael Bloomberg, you know, entrepreneur, media mogul, which I'm not, uh, but maybe someday. And I worked for a couple of really big media companies, and I just quit one, uh, whose name I still will not utter because I respect them too much. 
and lawyers. Uh, what lawyers and lawyers. Uh, and, you know, for the last four years, I've been doing this show on and off, and I've been there f- for that amount of time. And I hopefully, I mean, no one yelled at me. I'm pretty sure I concealed it. It's not that big of a deal. It's just like, it, there's two things. It's like, I don't want to be, I have enough issues with arrogance and egoism on my own. I don't want to be one of those people like, oh, you know, I work for the, like, I don't, I live in gentrified Brooklyn. There's so many people even in my building that say, well, my boyfriend works for NBC. That doesn't mean that he's right or better than me. That just means that he has a cool logo on his hoodie. I got a couple of those. They just have different logos. But I've mentioned this because we're in the middle of a massive paradigm shift. And this happens, I think it happens maybe once a century maybe twice. And what we're witnessing and what we've witnessed over the last five years, really, definitely the last decade, but really more over the last few years, is the death, the destruction of 20th century media. And I couldn't be happier because it also makes it okay if I can't become a billionaire with on, on CPM. You know? I, I can't become a billionaire selling ad slots on a, on a program of mine. I'd like to be, but that's not what the media business is these days. And having worked for a, a, a very big brand name company, and not saying this for my ego, I'm saying this to not say their name, I re, it really showed me to my face how the business has changed. And it's, it's like the first Tenacious D episode uh, from that series from 20 years ago, The Death of a Dream. And it's like The Death of a Dream plus Don't Meet Your Heroes. And it's a fine company. I worked with a lot of fantastic people whom I still love and appreciate. And they might be listening to me right now, which is great. But the where, the, where the media business is going is not at all the same place it was growing up. I've had this media empire pipe dream for as long as I can. I mean, since I was like 13. I was 13 in the year 2000. So I'm 35. Growing up as a medium millennial, there's seven years on either side of me of millennials, it's, I, I don't want to call it the golden age of television, but it was definitely the peak of profitability. It was right before everybody had cable. A lot of people had cable, but it, you, network television was still the, you know, the, the God-tier programming, all the best stuff when I was a kid. I mean, same for you, but Joel, you're old. Um, was still on network television. All the sitcoms that people remember, all the sitcoms that are still in syndication, almost every single one of them were on network TV. Everything from The Simpsons to Seinfeld to Family Guy to Friends, which I didn't like, uh, you know, Cheers and Frasier and all those shows. Uh, Futurama, Family Guy, every, all of those shows were on just mainstream network TV. And that's what really inspired me. I love the media business. I love vertically the creation and production and distribution and the business, the industry itself of media. I spent a lot of my spare time listening to documentaries. I actually just finished uh, listening to James Burroughs' uh, 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 memoir. Uh, James Burroughs, uh, I'm sure you've heard his name before. He is one of the most prolific television directors of all time. He started on Taxi. He created Cheers with two writers from Taxi, Glenn and Les Charles, and was has actually directed more television pilots than anyone else in history. He is one of the most prolific, if not the most prolific, television director of all time. Nine times out of ten, if NBC has a pilot, he's directing it. He hasn't stopped. He's 80, he's over 80 years old. Anyway, I say that because 
That's how infatuated with the 20th century media business I am. And when you think about the 20th century, <clears throat> you don't think of it really start like, you know, colloquially. You don't think of it starting until basically the 20s. You don't like, yeah, no one even thinks about World War II. That was totally, or sorry, World War I. Told, people haven't stopped talking about World War II. But like World War I, definitely well within the 20th century. Nobody cares because it was before. When did it end? In like 1919? Like it's, I don't even know. Everybody knows World War II. My point is, in 2022, now really begins the 21st century. And what we've been living for the last two decades are an extension of the 20th century, a refinement of all of the ideas and ideals that people tried to create and tried to perpetuate over 100 years. But now the fun begins. Now the real stuff starts to happen. And with that, you have to get rid of all the old stuff. You have to get rid of your old ways of thinking. And so with that, I quit my job at a giant media company that I had always wanted to work for. I, Joel, when I lived in Pittsburgh 10 years ago, I was doing freelance, and I said I never wanted to have a real job, but if I were going to sell out, it would be for a major media company in Manhattan, and I've worked for three of them now. And I, I have so much less of an idea of where the media business is really heading longer term than I did before I worked for these media companies, which is beyond ironic. Anyway, that's my spiel for that. The rest of the stuff is pretty short. Quit my job. They actually had to renovate my apartment. I had a roof leak. They had to replace my bathroom floor. I had an upper GI endoscopy, which is <coughs> great. Uh, I got another job. There was Yom Kippur. Uh, I was a tourist in my own city for a week while they renovated my apartment. I, got an, I had a falling out again with my mom that I patched up before I went to Denver last week. And, uh, and there's even more stuff that I'm forgetting. All of this happened within a three-week period, uh, and and now I've started a new, a new job at a startup that does podcasting, actually. And they don't, and it's not like Audible or one of the other. You know, we're a, we we're like a record label for podcasts. It's a company that does a. It's kind of like ZenCaster, but for businesses and better, uh, which is very nice. So hopefully. Uh, in the future, I can dog food myself or I can dog food ourselves, Joel, with some of the cool stuff I'll be working on that I could feed back into the production that we're creating right now. And that's what's exciting. And, and that's much more in keeping with where the media business as a whole is going in the 21st century. And we have, I can only speak for myself, but I, I think it's true for you too, Joel. Like we have just enough perspective on the 20th century to take to cherry pick the good stuff and then figure out how to make it relevant in the 21st century. And that's a chance that only one one generation or two generations have every century. A hundred years ago it was like Henry Ford and and uh, you know and, and and William Randolph Hearst and Condé Nast. Like those people, you know, Andrew Carnegie, those people, early 20th century, they really were able to disrupt the old guard and and pivot into a new era. It's happening again. It's happening right now. And we get to be in the front seat, which is incredible. Not even the Zoomers are going to get to have this much opportunity to make an impact on how the future is going to look in the next few decades. So with that, what are your questions? I feel like I should clap. Thanks. 
It's a lot, man. Like I said, it's the death of a dream. It's something I always wanted to do. And, well, uh, you know, the, the place I was working, I could wear my Galaxy shirts and purple pants, and they loved it. And it was of the, like, three media companies that are left. Ethically, it's better than Comcast, and it's better than a few others. Um, and they didn't have a news channel when I started working there. It was it was great. And uh, But... You know, watching all of these companies combine and congeal and then you, you read about them canceling the stuff that you wanted to watch and then they're just going to reboot some more old franchises and then complain when nobody watches them. Well, I, I, I can't keep my mouth shut anymore. I was going to try and let you go on, but I have... No, it's a podcast. Cut in. That's what I'm so, not, this isn't a monologue. I've been doing a lot of thinking about TV shows and movies and books and media and adaptations. And it occurred to me why... I don't like most of the stuff on television anymore. Because it's not fresh? I'm not their demographic. You're under 49. But I'm saying, most of the popular stuff that's coming out, I don't care. Like, the stuff I want to see, they're not making. So when, when you talk about television, and this is one of the other great things about being in the early 21st century, what is television? If you're watching a series on Netflix, on your phone, on the toilet, is that television? Okay, I should access. I guess it's a series of media instead of. Television. So, like, are we are we talking network TV? Are we talking cable TV? Are we talking streaming? I'm talking all like TV shows on on cable TV sh um, shows on on um, Netflix on Netflix or Amazon Prime, or whatever out of a thousand streaming services there are. Like, for example, The Peripheral just came out on Amazon. It's based off a book by William Gibson. Now, William Gibson is hit or miss for me. I love Neuromancer, I love this Pattern Recognition series, and I love the first book of the Peripheral series. So the, the geniuses from Westworld got a hold of it, and they started building the show. And they totally diverted from the book. And that's one of my biggest pet peeves. But you know, that's what they do in, in a lot of yeah. adaptations. But the thing is, though, like, why can't nobody just follow the script? If it sold a billion copies or ten million copies, why not just give the fans what they want? But because it occurred to me, they don't care about the fans. They just want to get no. something out there. And if they can, quote, adapt it for more people to like, then how can it, how they go wrong? But nine times out of ten, they flub it horribly. Yeah. And it's uh, and that's what occurred to me last week. I saw a friend of mine. They don't care about the story. They just want to get media out there so you can keep using your subscriptions. Right. It's... um. Uh, it, it's what is it? There was the uh, this this was from the James Burroughs. Uh, I wish I could call him Jimmy, but I'm not actually famous uh, or on television. Um, he he's he quoted uh, Gary Marshall, I think. You know the guy that did like Happy Days uh -huh. and all of that. Um, and he said that tele like producing a television show is having people who aren't funny tell people who are funny how to do their job. And that's why they have such a hard time making good stuff. Like, like I think... And it's also... And also think about it like this. So when... You know, back to my diatribe about, like, growing up on, on, on like, 80s and 90s television. Think about the amount of money that goes in that pays for the writers and the, everybody. That same amount of money that used to be for, like, 10 channels is now spread across an entirely huge universe which means everybody necessarily gets a much smaller piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. And what that also means is because everybody spreads so thin, you're not going to have like a, a, show, a sitcom that is world-renowned because it has the best writers in the industry all working together for 10 years because they're all going to be doing something else for the most part. You know what I mean? Yeah.
And like, like one of the biggest problems too is like Game of Thrones. They ruined the last season. Like they, well, especially with the Starbucks cup. Yeah, they, I mean, they had a ton of stuff that they set up, and then in a mere couple minutes, they destroy like a five season storyline. It happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like you see all these memes of, oh, well, they could have did this, but they forgot they did that. And it means it's frustrating. It's like this feels like you're not paying that's, attention. That's a you? lack of. Yeah, it's a lack of, of caring because on the flip side, then, you have all the nerd shows like like let's say Rick and Morty yeah. that they try so hard to make everything yeah. canon or everything line up that is canon. Yeah, they go back. Adventure, Adventure Brothers is the same thing. You watch the first season of Adventure Brothers, you think it's completely random. You watch season two of Adventure right. Brothers, go wait a second. You go back and watch Adventure 1, season one, it's like they set this all up. And it's like... Yeah, that's... Good writing. Exactly. And then I realized a lot of these shows aren't written from start to finish. It's like, well, we got one season, let's just write for the season. And then we get another season, and they keep bolting on. It's like, that's why stuff that, is well, that, that could be. Oh, sorry, go on. And that's why it's no consistency. Like, if you told me to write a seven season arc, and they do it, it'd be great. But instead, they, don't never, they never know what they're going to be uh, doing from season to season. Like, what, well, like let's, Westworld let's just got canceled after four seasons, and now it's basically kind of a cliffhanger. Right. Well, and that, that's exactly what I was going to say. So imagine that you get a show on the air and they say, we're going to give you one season. And then halfway through, they're going to say, they say, you know, we like it. We're going to give you another season, just one. And then you're like, well, this could be the last season or it could be the beginning of us developing a real series. And then so then season two and then each time it's just like another season or another half a season that alone inhibits the ability to create bigger arcs. Exactly. Um, it, I think it's a sign of the times. And that's also why nobody watches television. I worked for a media company. I don't watch television. I don't have cable. I watch a lot of YouTube and TikTok. I have YouTube Premium, and that's mainly where most of my time goes, is YouTube Premium. Seriously. And watching, like, and watching that's, stuff that's I, over I 10 years old. I, I had a hand in building a, a major streaming service on the web. Don't use it. I even get a free subscription. Haven't used it. It's not installed in anything. And it's not for any malice. I just don't care. Did you work on Quibi? No, it was uh, CISO. You made me say it. Quibi was a complete dumpster fire. I mean, honestly, so is CISO. But no, it's uh, it's 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 one of the. It's like you have the big three streaming services, and then the next one. That's the one that I did. Anyway, uh, so the point to bring this all the way back around is that what you're lamenting, Joel, is something very, very similar to what I was talking about. It's just how the business has evolved, where the business is now. Also, when I was growing up, I lived, we, you know, uh, I, I grew up in an era that had a Goldilocks zone of, of uh, executives, network executives that respected creativity and would take chances on stuff. That doesn't exist anymore. All of the big wigs and all the major media companies are lawyers or bankers, and they're not creatives. I mean, think about the Disney Renaissance in the 90s. That would not have happened if it weren't for Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg, because they believed in the creativity. Similarly with Seinfeld and with Cheers, well, because of Brandon Tartikoff at NBC. Those and, and Jamie Tarsus at ABC, those people and the small group of people haloed around them are they, it's like, well, why can't we just do another Seinfeld? Because you need the vertical support from the everybody from the writers to the actors to the producers all the way through the network executives. And if the network executives are so afraid of what someone might do because I don't know, it might offend somebody, 
they are also forgetting that, uh, hold on. They're also forgetting that one of the car most cardinal rules of media, hate shares, have the highest form of engagement. So if you make something that pisses people off, that's going to get mad views. It's going to be shared everywhere. And it doesn't matter if you're watching it out of disgust or out of lust because it's still the same money at the end of the day. So what's the problem? Anyway. So with that, let's talk about AI art. <laughs> because it's only a matter of time before computers start making their own television programs. Um... I mean, I really, I don't know, I really, I really think that's right around the corner, especially we've had how many years of those AI script machines that are like, we fed, you know, or like they did it with Donald Trump. We, we fed uh, like 10,000 hours of Donald Trump talking about garbage into a machine and then we had it write a Donald Trump speech or like, you know, they, they, that's been around for, for definitely a few years. Mm -hmm. So combined with the ability for computers to create graphics that are, um, not necessarily in the uncanny valley. There's a real potential for, I mean, there's a real potential for a whole series to be created by, 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 by machines. There's a show called Corporate, and there's a storyline about how this lady figured out that she could create children's shows through AI. And it was complete garbage, but the kids loved See? it. See? It's not even that far off of an idea, because I thought I came up with it, but I didn't. Just like I thought I came up with Brian Williams doing Rapper's Delight, which was going to be my uh, audition for SNL. And then somebody else did that and everybody, but before I could get a chance to do it, it was really sad. No. So, it's okay. all right. It's okay. We can use AI art and make you an artist. I'm already an artist. I mean, of I just, the, of the um, visual kind. I mean, I consider, uh, yeah. It's tough because, like, I don't know. It's 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 definitely an argument of whether uh, web design, not necessarily web development, web design, or just you know front end development is art. If you're doing it for yourself, if you're you know just like it's the same argument you give VFX artists, quote unquote, if they're cre if they're being told what to do and it's not necessarily a commission, they have no creative control. Are they artists? Not really. They're artisans. They're not artists. But if you're doing it for yourself and you have the creative control and you can really push things, that's where the art comes in. So, but that's still talking about people. Now let's talk about Dal E2, D A L L dot E number two. And um, <clears throat> it's been around for a little while. Uh, and by a little while, I mean a few months. I heard about this a few months ago. Um, and it's, re I, I think it's fascinating because it gives you a prompt and then you type in what you want and it'll draw a picture for you. Um, why don't you, uh, yeah. So, uh, do you have access to it, Joel? I do not. I use what's called night cafe. Well, well, hold on. So let's talk about, let's keep talking about Dolly 2 for a second. Yes. Dolly, uh, Dolly 2 came out. It was invite only. I have a few friends that actually tried to get on the list. In front of my phone, I got access to it last month after waiting like two or three months. Oh, is it is it free? It's free for I think the first few, and then you have to pay for credits after that. A lot of these have, uh, a lot of these have credit systems if you're doing it sure. online. Sure. Uh, here's one: an image generated by Dolly Two based on the prompt quote: "Teddy bears working on new AI research underwater with 1990s technology," and I will send you a link. That is hilarious. I will send you a link to what uh, 
that looks like once I figure out how to use Discord again. Here. I mean, that's pretty good. There's definitely a certain degree of, of softness, mm -hmm. but the the natural language processing and just the real specificity of uh, of the result is incredible. Sorry, mm. it came out in 21. January 5th of 2021. Ah. Uh, the generative pre-trained transformer model was initially developed by OpenAI in 2018. The first iteration GPT, uh, which that sounds like a partition table, uh, scaled up, scaled up, scaled up, developed and announced to, to the public in conjunction. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of these are going to be model-based, just highly trained it, 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 models. It's all model-based. Yeah. Um, but the fact that it's got to this point where it, the images look really good and you can really, you can really have it do anything. And the images are high fidelity. I, I, I'm, I'm beyond impressed. Also a little scared, not going to lie, because as much as this can be used for good, it could be used for bad. Well, here's a scary thing. A lot of these are building images that are 512 by 512. Right. But Which is what, album art? Yeah, but here's the thing. They've created AI upscalers that will actually take a small image and upscale it and it won't look like crap. Well, are you sure it's like the actual source image is five twelve by five twelve, or is it the is it is it the, rendered down? No, it's output at five twelve by five twelve. Wow, I mean that's not bad. Like looking at the just like the browser scaled image from Wikipedia with the teddy bears, that does not look bad. No, when it's blown up. Um, I wish I wish I could type stuff, but there's like you know, uh, an astronaut riding a horse in space. You can say an astronaut riding a horse in a photorealistic style. I mean, I'm just like clicking on the website and the variants are incredible in the style of Andy Warhol lounging in a tropical resort in space. And I think the most fascinating thing for me about this is are the different styles that it, that of art that it does. So, one of the cool things about AI art is the prompt is the the prompt and the seed are the two most important parts of of AI art. When you say the seed, you mean just like it's repository no, no. of a, data the seed, to use the, seed, the, the seed is a random number. When, oh. With a lot of these generators, you have to give it a prompt, and then there is the seed, which helps to generate the item. And then there's also the model it uses to create the, the, the image. Different, right. different AIs use different models. Like, there's, there's the model that actually... The, 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 there's the model that actually has all the, all the art in it, and then there's the other model that it uses to create those models. Mm. So, for example, the one I use, um, I think it's called Eula Ancestry A, is like my favorite one because it does the most realistic people for the model generation. And right. the prompt basically tells it what to do. And would, there's, they now have people called prompt engineers that know how to generate a prompt that will get you closer to what you want. Mm. And but that's just like, you know, that's like, uh, didn't they used to have, like, one of the old search engines right around the millennium, didn't they used to have, like, a phone number you can call and someone would help create the prompt for you? Ask Jeeves, maybe? I'm think I was thinking Ask Jeeves, because that was, that was supposed to be natural language. Mm -hmm. So, like, an example is a lot of these um, prompts usually have your subject, and then you have your modifiers after the subject. So, for right. example, a teddy bear underwater is your subject. You can't have more than... Th it, two or three is as many as you can go. Once you go more than three, it gets a little wonky. 
But sure. then you say the style. So if you say, I want this in comic book style, or I want this in a... I mean, the fact that you can say in Vaporwave and it knows what that is, uh -huh. is bl blows my mind. The, it, and I, and, 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 and you some, know, just to so, point out, I really try hard not to use phrases like that. So when it does happen, I try not to use the word amazing. I try not to say I'm impressed a lot. So when I see something like this, it actually means, holy crap, this is like, I... We'll like I said, it's incredible. This is real 21st century and, stuff. And some of the stuff actually goes out to the web and, and does it looks at other stuff to figure out what to do. So you can actually, like for example, ArtStation is a website that artists use to um, sh share their art. So one of the problems you can... Say that again? What, 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 ArtStation? What site is it? ArtStation. ArtStation. It's like DeviantArt. Like Deviant I was going to say, is DeviantArt still around? Yeah, it's still around, but I think ArtStation and ArtGerm are the more popular ones from what I can see. Mm. But um, you can say whatever your subject is in the style of what's most popular on art, on art germ or art station, and it will go out and like look at the stuff and like figure out what the styles are. I wonder how how easily you could use this for like logo design. Oh, people are using this for concept art. I've actually done it a few times. Sure, I mean that's a great yeah. I saw a guy show a tutorial. He wanted a guy. So that's art. That's wait, art station. They're using, or they're, we're still talking about uh, Dolly. Well, AI art in general, or both. Yeah, AI art. So, so, um, oh, go on, go on. So the guy wanted a a concept art for for sneakers. So he basically built a prompt that would um, made concept art for sneakers and gave the guy an idea for a new sneaker design that he could actually use. Does he have to credit or give attribution to the AI model? It, well, that's the thing. Some models have different licensing. A lot of them are basically whatever you build is yours. Is it like Creative Commons or I don't, just like it, free to use? It depends on, on, the, on the model. Different models have gotcha. different licensing. But another person I saw do, they, you can actually also give pro input. So if you draw, say for example, you drew a stick figure and you drew like another stick figure, maybe like a, a, a background. You could actually mm -hmm. tell the AI to, to draw something, and we'll use that as a starting. But there's, wow. There have been parents who've taken their kids' drawings and put it into the AI and gave it a, a little bit of a prompt, and it would actually create art out of it. That's, I, 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 like I said, I just... I mean, that's, that's why I gave this whole preamble about only now just starting the 21st century, because this, this is the stuff. Mm -hmm. this, is, <clears throat> this is the real 21st century stuff. Uh, let's talk about latent diffusion models. Because that's behind Dolly, it's also behind a couple of others. It's um, basically behind all of them. Yeah, so what is latent diffusion? I know you have uh, stable diffusion, but I'm talking about latent. Well, latent diffusion is the actual way it does all the stuff. If and what, what does that actually mean? If I remember correctly, they basically took art and they added noise to the images. Mm -hmm. And they created these models to figure out how to, for the, art, for the AI to actually figure out how to create them. So I will. Ah, so that's how they get like it start. It like the noise turns into eyes, that turns into yeah. the face, that turns into a body, that turns back into, you know, back into hands, back into exactly. Yeah. It's interesting. So random noise plus random number generation plus a very highly trained model plus a giant repository of sample data. Mm -hmm. There's I I mean, there's a it sounds simple when you lay it out like that, but at the same time. It's it's one of those where you draw a cloud around the, you know how you how you how do you make the model how do you train the model? Well, it's incredible. There's also a way 
um, there's different tools for stable diffusion. I think one's called Dream Booth. You can take about 10 to 20 pictures of yourself, like face shots, head shots, body shots, mm -hmm. and then you can actually add yourself into the model. And then you can make yourself in any any format you want. So oh, I might do that. So basically, the, um, Corridor Digital is a special effects group that does stuff on YouTube. They've been around for like 15 years or so, and they do a lot of special effects things. Well, they took and made models of all their employees, and the guy did a basically a storyboard of a, of a story that they were going to create. And basically, they, they made the, the people into characters using different uh, art styles. Ooh. And, like, you know, you know those old 1980s and 1990s movie posters where it's kind of cartoony, but you know it's like right. Christopher, it's Christopher Reeves or it's Keanu Reeves or whoever? Right, the, and it has like a white background yeah. or something. This gen yeah. this generates the almost any art style. Wow. I mean, like I said, the fact that you could just type in plus vaporwave is, uh, I, yeah, it, it's it's I I'm it's incredible. I don't know what else. I I need more. I need a thesaurus to figure out more adjectives to use. So um, <clears throat> yeah, so uh, latent diffusion are iterative models, like you said, that start with random noise, and they can be conditioned with a text or an image. So it's not like you said, you could upload a photo of yourself plus the random noise. It iteratively learns how to remove the noise by learning what parameters the model should apply to the random noise, which I guess starts with, like, edge detection or, you know, some, like... I don't know. Pretending to know what I'm talking about. Uh, this is possible... Sorry, the basic diffusion models will take random noise with the size of the image, and then learn how to apply even further noise until we get back to a real image. It's possible because the model will have access to the real images during the training and will be able to learn the right parameters by applying such noise to the image iteratively until it reaches complete noise and is unrecognizable, then it goes back. That's, yeah. Um, so yeah, latent diffusion and then, uh, stable diffusion, capital S, capital D, which don't take that out of context. Um, what is, is that, so does it's, stable diffusion, the product use latent diffusion? Yeah, as it's the, stable diffusion okay. is the open source version. So Dolly, Midjourney, and all these other ones are available and they're on the web. Stable diffusion, you can run locally on your machine if you have a, a, a um, graphics card, an NVIDIA card that can support the rendering and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it says you need a lot of them. Yeah, well, many, many GPUs. Well, so for example, I run stable diffusion on my machine and I can generate a piece of art in under a minute, 30 seconds. My, and is that 512 by 512? Yeah. A friend of mine tried doing it on a non-NVIDIA graphics card, and it took him about 10 to 15 minutes to generate an image. How, uh, what, how much video memory do you have? Uh, I believe I have about 8, eight gigabytes. Okay. Let me check the, uh, let me check the old iMac. Probably not, because I don't think that has an NVIDIA card. You need like a, I think a 20, oh, right, you need like a 2060 or higher, I believe. Preferably a 3090 or 4090 with 16 gigabytes. Yeah, I've got a Radeon Pro. Yeah, uh, ATI is not supported 5, natively. 5700 XT 16 gigs. But there, for so it should be nice, but it's not NVIDIA. Yeah, for a while, um, I know that Google Colab and some other places, you could actually rent GPUs online to train models instead of running it for two to three hours on your machine. Well, actually, I have a couple of spare GPUs. I, I have... Uh, I think I have like a GeForce 1080 Ti 
eight gigs that's sitting in my closet. Could I do anything with that for this? Possibly. You'd have to look at the uh, software requirements. I guess I'd also need some kind of like eGPU enclosure. So anyway, um, <clears throat> textual inversion. That's another thing that I'm seeing yeah, here. Yeah, textual inversion, like I was talking about the, the modeling, textual inversion is what is one other version of the Dream Booth thing that allows you to actually create your own models and bring stuff in. And that's, is that just like natural language processing? No, no, that's the or? one where you take multiple images and you feed it in and, and generate its own models so that you can, it can draw whatever you're doing. Why is it called textual inversion? I don't remember. My eyes started glazing over. I tried to figure out how to get it to work. Text to model. What is this? Uh, using only three to five images of a user provided. See how dry and boring this sounds? It's like put on the ridiculous music. Just like. Using only three to five images of a user-provided concept, like an object or style, we learn to represent it through new words in embedding the space of a frozen text image model. These words can be composed into natural language sentences, guiding personalized creation in an intuitive way. Notably, we find evidence that a single word, embedding, is sufficient for capturing unique and varied concepts. We compare our approach to a wide range of baselines to demonstrate that it can more faithfully portray the concepts across a range of applications and tasks. I don't know what that means either. Basically, I guess you start with text and then a few images. You basically feed it some images, give it a, a model, like a model name, and then it churns through and creates a model. And you said this is what everybody's, like Dolly and Google's open AI stuff, like it's what everybody's... Well, I don't know. The textual inversion, the Dreamboof stuff... Is I is for stable diffusion. I don't know what Dolly uses under the hood, but uh, I know, for example, like I've I've gone through a ton of tutorials trying to figure out how to do this myself. They create my own models. One of the examples was you generate like say two hundred like people, and then you put in your three to five images or ten images of yourself, and it creates a model to actually put you into the into the uh, model to, for different stuff. Ah. Speaking of which, we start. We should have started with this person does not exist. Like that's AI art. What? Dot com? Is that porn? Yeah, it's creepy because it doesn't. All it does is it shows you a person. It's like it doesn't have anything else on the website other than just a random person. If you go to thispersondoesnotexist.com, and I'm sure a lot of you have heard of this already. It's been around for a while. It. These are not real people. These are all, and it's and, and they it's not Uncanny Valley either. These look like real people that are created by compositing multiple images together uh, with AI, and you can just keep refreshing the page. Who? I know that guy. Like I've seen that guy before. That's creepy. You know what I'm not seeing, Joel? What? Any black people? So interesting, you say there that. There is a thing about AI being racist, right? Like so, I was reading about that. Some of the complaints online was that they can't render minorities properly, and the argument is, you all the data they have is for white people. There's not a lot of right. there's not a lot of art of non-white people in history. That's you know that's that's true. So I mean, it's, basically, it, the, yeah. the data sets aren't there to create. Because I've tried creating some minorities in Stable Diffusion, and woo. Is it? Oh yeah. It kind of. Some of it's kind of not it, so good. Is it like, like, like really 
like not okay racist bit. Not racist, but like like you ever, caricature. How do I put this? Yes, yeah, kind of caricatures. You, like you know, like have you ever Disney, watched the way 90s, Disney drew ever, black people? Have you ever watched 90s anime and you see how they attempt to draw black people? I, you know what? Yes. Kind, I, I, that's, it's kind, it's honestly, it's pretty similar to what I mentioned, like Disney in the twenties. Yeah, it's kind of uh, like it's kind of like that. That's really in a, bad. And like certain for certain aspects, like noses aren't that good. Um, foreheads might not be that good. Right. How about the hair? Ah, uh, hit or miss. Okay. And and Joel, you know, I look. I I'm not pandering. You know that, but I have to ask. As a black person, how does it make you feel? I, I, and I say that because, like, it's up there with Kodak Film was made for white people. You know, that's how pervasive this stuff is. Well, Google is now claiming their new pixels will take better pictures of black people now because it has better that's, contrast. Talk about talk about a tightrope walk. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you even how do you even try to say that without getting without getting a firestorm of of hate? Um, but you know what's also ironic is that there's this, like there there's this uh, perception that software developers are all white, and that's not true at all. There's not many of them who are black, but they're not all white by far, and there definitely are quite a few. I mean, like think about it, think about just India on its own, tons of software developers. They're not white, and they've been creating art forever, but they're also not black. So. Do you do you feel um, and, and I'm 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 at least trying I'm trying really to be serious like completely serious here, Joel. Do you do you feel slighted by this or is no, it just like the, well the, it's you the, know the, added the, to the list? The data is not there, so like why am I getting upset about? It? Like if you've got a thousand pictures to train with, and only two percent right. is a minority, that's just the way the data went. It's not being racist. It's just there's not a lot of data there. Now if they actually yeah. had people that went in and added that data to try and make better models for that, then fine, whatever. I mean... We, I mean, I think they've got to. You have to, but you have to look I at the bigger picture and point. not just look at everything as a slight, is my, is my point of view. Well, that's, I, I, I really respect that. Um, but, you know, if going back to my hate shares have the highest form of engagement, if you wanted to just get really pissed off and talk about how racist all the AI systems are as a black person, that'd get a lot of views. Yeah, but uh, I, don't, I don't want that kind of social media karma. It is bad. It swings back and forth, and it might swing out. It might swing forward and be awesome, but that swing back is gonna knock you out. Oh, here we go. I finally hit a black. Actually, I need to stop saying that. This guy looks like uh, what's his face from from. uh, Wait, you know what? No, I I'm already out on a on a ledge here. I'm not I'm not doing that. Um. Anyway, so oh, here's an interesting question, and this I, I found this Reddit post. That's uh, who owns the rights to images produced by AI. And the answer is still, we don't know. That's great. The other thing, too, is some artists are upset because apparently, I forget what website it was, but you had to opt out of using of them using your art as training data. Hmm. I mean, that makes sense. I wouldn't mind them using my art as training data, but I would mind them using it for profit. If they're just doing it to create a wider repository of more diverse so, art. And so I, here's a question, because this is what I've been struggling with, because I've been playing with AI art for the past month and a half. So when you create a lot, when you create art via prompt, if you put in a famous artist's name, it's basically only trying to make it like that artist. Sure. But if you just put in, like, instead of using artists, but you use concepts, like, for example... 
Unreal Engine and Octane Renderer are two rendering models they use for creating 3D models. If you mm -hmm. add that at the end of your prompt, you will get a computer rendered look looking piece. When I create my stuff, I don't add people's, like, famous people's names. I use styles. I don't use artists. So if your stuff is added to the repository as a style, but not as you as the artist, like, which one is okay and which one's not okay? If you, if you created this style, like, let's say, you know, Warhol or Kandinsky or Escher. Or, but that's, but know, that's an like, actual artist. If it's their style... Like their trademark style, uh, like Liechtenstein. Yeah, they all have their trademark style. But I felt I felt that under the artist. But like, well, you know, right? But, but at the same time, you have to talk about parody. You have to talk about inspiration. You have to talk about derivative works, and uh, I, that's where the law kind of gets fuzzy. Because think about it like this: if uh, if you take a picture of somebody in public, you own the photo. Even if they're in it, and then they can say, I don't want to be in your photo. They can't do it. In the States, they have no recourse. In Europe, they do. <clears throat> and I think it's, it's similar to that. It's like, who, if the company that created the computer, that created the art, is, creates something that is inspired by, but, you know, technically is different enough to not qualify for an infringement, I think it's fine. Um. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm playing with stable diffusion, trying to get it to cat in spaceship synth, which is already a wealth of images that people created. Your humans created. But the uh, there's actually another website with it. Um, it categorizes AI art. So if you give it, if you give it a, uh, a prompt idea, it will show you all the stuff that came comes back of that similar prompt. Interesting. So back to stable diffusion, it does like the diagram they have, it does basically, it's like natural language processing plus indexing mm -hmm. and then plus the other stuff that we mentioned. But there's also it, the other, uh, the other magic sauce for stable diffusion is there's a sample rate. The more you sample, the weirder it gets. Sure. There's also prompt weight. So if you say two cats playing in the rain, and the prompt weight's like 20%, it'll kind of kind of do it. But the more the higher you make it, the more it tries to fit that, and the weirder it gets. Right. There's a, there's a tightrope you have to walk with, with the sliders in Stable Diffusion, but that's what also makes it interesting, because you can get very abstract just by playing with those few, few values. Sure. I mean, also, like, this, this stuff only just made it out of the Uncanny Valley. There's a, quite a few, I mean, there's a, quite a few things that I've seen even just plugging away while we're doing the show that are mm -hmm. creepy. I just sent and, I just sent you one on your website you you sent me. Yeah. Oh, that is creepy. Right. So I, I it's still early days. Yeah. And I, I think that the more it's it's a double edged sword. It's like it is really abstract and it can get kind of cool and out there, but it also gets creepy really fast. So uh <clears throat> so yeah. Let's move on to um Talked about stable diffusion. We talked about Dolly. How about Night Cafe? Night Cafe is where I started with AI art. So Night Cafe okay. is, is much like Dolly, but they claim to be used for creating NFTs because you can do variations quite easily. NFTs. Oh my God. Yeah. 
But I guess it makes sense if you're going to make AI art, why not also make it an NFT? Yeah. So, like, for example, if you create an image of a, of a cat playing in the rain, you can then tell it to evolve it and make you variations of cats playing in the rain, and you'll get all sorts of random things from that. Hmm. It's quite interesting how many times if you evolve an image, how out of scope it becomes. Sure. But, well, and, and that's just like, like I said, it's, it's, I, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I'm almost speechless just because of, of how, how complicated and how cool this stuff is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it looks like Night Cafe also allows you to create prints of your art that it creates. Yeah. And you also can up everything for, the, right up for Night Cafe about the credits. So you can, you can either generate one image, nine images, four images, 16 images at once. So if you have an idea you want to play with, you put it in, tell how many you want to generate, and it'll generate that many offsets of it. Mm. But everything costs credits, so one credit sure. for one image, maybe two credits for four images, and you can actually change the resolution why it renders. Like if you wanted a bigger image to be rendered, you can do that. But you're better off just doing a small image. If you like it, then you enhance it. Enhancement takes maybe a credit or two. Mm. And then how far you can, it, how much it pays it into the prompt. So you, you can make an image that costs 16 credits or an image that might cost you one credit, all depending on how you modify it. They actually have a nice little community that you can see what other people have rendered. And there's mm-hmm. also the ability to look at their prompts and their settings so you can learn how to do better um, images. That, I mean, this looks like a Squarespace website, but uh, actually it's worse. It's a bootstrap website, but... They don't, you know, don't don't waste the money on the front end. Waste the money on the on the bots that make the images. Exactly. This is cool. Oh, and Night Cafe lets you choose. I'm sorry if you said this. It lets you choose your own creation method. So you yeah. can do Stable Diffusion or Dolly Two or a coherent artistic. They just they just got Dolly about two or three weeks ago, but there are multiple. There's there's realistic. There's artistic. There's experimental. There's Dolly. There's, I think, five different ways, last time I checked, to make art. So you can take the same prompt and put it into five different thing, five different models and get totally different things. Where's the... Oh, I can't create unless I have a credit. Well, that's lame. I know you just said that, but yeah. I was hoping it would, like, give me a preview or something. Nope. <clears throat> All right. Um, let's see. Advanced mode. Advanced mode, the, advanced start ad, image, advanced ratio. Mode, the advanced mode allows you to actually pick things like the prompt, um, different prompt modifiers and different styles. Create a video with this. Well, the video, so, the videos are more of a of, of evolution of how it's creating it. They are because it has to create twenty four images a second. Yeah. So there, least. there is. I know that Stable Diffusion has methods of creating animations, which is like in its infancy right now. Sure. So, have you heard of um? This is at the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, have you heard of Scanimate? I have it's not from the seventies. I have not heard of that. So, how did they, before computers, do television graphics? Whether it's on the news Chirons. or like animated logos did, or like they Saturday had, Night Movie. They did Chirons. They had a machine that actually rendered like I think it was like a Amiga. I know. Started. I'm talking about I'm talking about bumpers, not just overlays. Like, like think about like HBO's, uh, you know, when they would have like you know Saturday night movies or whatever that have the intro. I'm pretty sure most of those are hand drawn. Yes and no. Um, look up Scanimate. It, there's only a, a couple of the machines left. It's a completely analog way 
of animating. It's like almost digital, but it's completely analog and it's completely video. So it's 60 FPS and it's super smooth. The way that they like they have a like a bunch of patch bays and they wire the stuff together to get the oh. to get different effects. So it's the, it's the analog version of um, mixers. It's the analog version of After Effects. Because there's a there's a guy on YouTube, look him up no computer. He does synth work, but he does it all with analog. He doesn't use digital synthesizers. He, ah. he actually builds the circuits and shows you how to do them. He runs this crazy museum out in the UK. Hmm. But it's it's, a, that's it's not uh, that's not look mom no computer is it? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, I love that guy. Yeah, basically this is the video version of what he does. Yeah, I also like his his like he rebuilt an old telephone exchange. Uh -huh. Um. Yeah. So Scanimate. Anyway, that's at the opposite end because it's definitely human generated and it's not even a computer, but it's really close uh -huh. and it could do some really cool stuff. And like I said. All, like a lot of the television graphics from the 60s through the 80s, animated logos and stuff, all done on Scanimate. And they'd have to like, if they wanted to move something, they'd have to actually, actually make the changes in real time. And so if you said, yeah, I like how this looks, but can we move the logo a little to the left? They'd have to remake the whole video. Uh -huh. So yeah. Um, and what's also interesting is how they're able to to segment images like it scans you can input images that it scans but somehow it knows how to only isolate that image without being a computer that's why like i keep saying this analog the analog world especially when it comes to television production super interesting uh -huh. everything makes sense now it's just computers one of the, one of the things i ended up doing a lot because i learned how to code at an early age was trying to figure out how do things how did things work before they had everything digital Exactly. And because, you know, and because I'm a mid-millennial, I grew up watching the analog world really get dismantled immediately. And uh, I just missed the ability to really figure out how this stuff works. So, um, but yeah. All right. Let's, let's keep moving. Uh, go back to the notes. So we did Night Cafe. How about uh, Mid Journey? Mid Journey is a lot like Dolly. Um, their interface is different. A friend of mine, that's well, my friend in the UK. Whoa, this is a weird website. Yeah, my friend in the UK uses it. You basically create a Discord channel on your Discord, and you feed it prompts, and it feeds you back images, usually four at a time. Are they ASCII? No, it's, um, oh. they generate actual images. It's, oh, cool, they're using Next.js. Because uh, the, the splash page is like this animated ASCII art. It's an independent research lab exploring new mediums of thought. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. So it's different from Dali How. That I'm not sure of. Okay. I, um, uh, like I said, I've, I've played with Night Cafe because that's the first one I found. And sure. I know that Midjourney has a different licensing. With Mid, if I remember correctly, with Dali, everything is public. But with Midjourney, if you pay the membership fee, your work is private and yours only. So no one else can see what you're creating. Mm. Uh, diffusion model, blah, blah, blah. Midjourney takes a simpler method in an artistic route 
as opposed to Dolly 2's photorealism. Users can create four variations in their Discord server by clicking the four VS in the chat. The same goes with upscaling. So it's more stylized, it looks like. Yeah. All right. Uh, the more technical the prompt, the more abstract the result is. That makes sense. Midjourney is subscription-based, uh, like you said, and Dolly 2 works on a credit system. Interesting. All right. Uh, moving on. Shutterstock to offer AI tools for you, artists. We should touch on Hugging Face. Sorry? Hugging, hugging Face. What? Hugging Face is one of the what sites we skipped. Hugging Face? Yeah, it's understable diffusion. That's a secret sauce. Oh. Because the Hugging Face, there's a model, I think it's called Stable Diffusion 1.4 and 1.5. Those are the base training models for doing art. But Hugging Face allows you to create your own models. So, for example, ah. there's a person that did um, androids. So, if you want to create a certain look type of android-looking creature for your art... You load that model, and the the faces are look like more like robots. And people can make their own models for like yeah. anime. Uh, for, there's one. So I think someone did one for Wiener Dogs, and they're all available on the Hugging Face website. Hmm. Interesting. Uh. Oh, that's what I was typing in for Stable Diffusion. Huh. All right. Oh, wait, does it have a biases? Biases and content acknowledgement. Despite how impressive being able to turn text into images is, beware to the fact that this model may output content that reinforces or exacerbates societal issues, as well as realistic faces, pornography, and violence. Still not talking about black people. Uh, the model was trained on the Lion, L-A-I-O-N, 5B data set. So those, so those data sets are basically groups of pictures. Oh. Yeah, and it says it's scraped, it scrapes non-curated curated, curated image text pairs, which I guess makes sense because then it helps index and match to the, the yeah. tokens from the NLP. So, for example, um, when you do stable diffusion, when you do the model train, um, the steps, the steps is how many, time, how many examples it looks at. So if you say, draw me a picture of a dog, and you say 20, if you say 40, it might right. be better. But if you say 80, the dog starts getting a little weird because it's using too many items. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Um, let's... We've only got a few minutes left. If we had to pick two more, what would be the next one you wanted to pick? I would say the AI art dilemma is, is it real art? I mean, that's like, hey, what is art? You know, what, like, how do you, what, how do you define, you have to define and agree upon what art is to be able to even think about calling AI art, art. Does art need personhood? Does it have to be created by a person? I don't think so, because there's, people take pictures of landscapes that are not created by people, and it's but art. But the photo is the art, not the landscape. I guess Walter true. White as a Starbucks barista? Okay, that's a little, that's funny. Uh, <clears throat> let's see, where to, where to start? I really should have read this beforehand, but we're out of practice. Um, AI art refers to programs that analyze huge data sets of images and text that is attached to each image so we can use our own text to generate brand new images. Uh-huh. 
So what's the problem? The reason people are getting increasingly frustrated with AI artists is that no, they aren't artists. They're nightmare clients. They tell the AI what they want, demand infinite revisions of it, and once finally satisfied, claim the work is their own. Well, having done freelance for a decade, I empathize a, a million. Um, but also, who decides if someone's an artist? Like I said earlier, like VFX artists aren't real artists. I'm not a real artist when somebody controls the thing that I do to the point where I have no input stylistically or creatively. I'm just basically a, a mechanical Turk. So if you think of it like that, then yeah. But there is an amount of creative control that the models have because that's what differentiates them. Well, for me, I can't draw to save my life. I have all these ideas of stuff I want to create. Neither can I. And I can't ever do it. Like, I've drawn stuff on CAD. I've wanted to cut things out to, like, make stuff. Like, I've actually drawn plans to, like, build things. And they just... It's like that meme, here's what I ordered off a of Wish. Here's the picture look like. Here's what actually happened. Right. That's the Wish picture. The actual happen is what I get when I try and create something. But I understand. But with AI art and stuff, like I can actually feed a prompt into it, and I can start manipulating that prompt, and then I can actually start getting something more like what I want. Yeah, and also to the person that made this tweet about how they're nightmare clients, I understand, but... They're only nightmare clients because they're doing that to a person. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're like, I want you to mine cryptocurrency, that would be hell yeah. for a person. But a computer, that's what it's supposed to do. But one of the other features of Stable Diffusion, they have what's called in-painting. So let's like, say you, drew, you had to draw a picture, but you didn't like something in the background. You can actually match that piece out of the, of the picture and have it draw something new in that area. So you can actually do... That's great. You can actually do composites inside of Stable Diffusion. And what some people are doing is called kit bashing. Is when you take an idea and you generate a, a bunch of them and different variations, and you, you use oh. Photoshop and you start compositing all the different pieces from the different art into one piece of art. Ah, uh, I only because I'm because I'm a geek. I only know what real kit bashing is. Uh, which, by the way, that's how they made the the original Star Wars action figures. Mm -hmm. Kit bashing. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> for some people, they think art is solely used for artists who express their ideas and emotions and passions and politics and culture. But I would also argue, at the same time, besides that, there is art that isn't necessarily emotional or passionate, like corporate art or the art on billboards or Coke bottles. However, to others, art also includes the human technique and practice, which... I don't believe, because people's pets make art. Look, my cat made this painting. What about human technique that goes into that? No. Well, what about that, uh, was it an elephant that they had draw stuff? Yeah, so I think that line is BS. They feel that carefully crafting their sketches or digital drawings cannot compare to an individual sitting in front of a computer and typing a few words into a machine. That sounds like a starving artist that is pissed off. Mm -hmm. That sounds like somebody that overvalues their own work and is pissed off that a computer can do it better than they can with less effort. Well, that's like that. I know, because I'm one of them. Mm -hmm. So, I yeah. Well, there's also that meme that we have in the show notes about pro artists using AI versus people who don't. How like right. oh, I I actually watched the video a couple months ago or yeah two months by now where this woman she wasn't an artist and this other guy who was an artist and they had a competition to see who can do the best with AI art and surprisingly the, the artist did better because he had a better grasp of of terms styles and all this other remember, stuff. Remember, what if the target demo for AI art 
aren't people, isn't people. What if it was made for computers? What if it was made for something else? The idea of calling something better is completely subjective and predicated on a million different variables. And that doesn't even, and that could be anything, not even art. You can't, people can't even agree on what art is, whether or not computers are exactly. it or not. Exactly. Like, that's been my biggest pet peeve with art. Like, you go these, like, I've been, uh, what's the, um, Frank Lloyd Wright, what's his museum in New York? Oh, the Guggenheim. Yeah, I've been to the Guggenheim. And half, Great. Half, Great half the stuff in there, I'm like, how is this art? But they go for tens of thousands of dollars. I'm like, I don't understand. Well, hey, I, you know what? The Guggenheim, that's, I'll, I'll, I'll defend that. But you no, can no, no, say no. MoMA I'm not, I'm not saying, any day of the week. I'm not saying that there's not art in there. But I don't understand half the art in there is what I'm saying. Right. But I, I, I would say that argument fits better with the stuff at MoMA, not the Guggenheim. Uh, like the last time I went to MoMA, Yoko Ono made some kind of abstract video and... After already damaging my ears, she's now damaging my eyes. No. I'll, I'll watch an AI create better art than that any day of the week. We're not really thinking about emotions and the cultural background and history. We're just seeing that it's a pretty thing that in our... In our yeah, that's what people, some people, all that's, that's all they need for art. What's the problem? We're not asking for like so, we're not asking for it to be curated next to you know in 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 the in the Met. We're not asking for it to be held next to the paintings from the Renaissance, the Renaissance. No, it's just stuff that a computer made. Yeah, that it might look cool. Well, you might want to print it out and put it on a wall. But one how the, hard is that? Well, one of the examples of that emotional thing is you go on vacation, you take a picture of you and your friends who go on vacation, like staying on the beach. And you put that up in your house, and you look at the picture, and I'm like, oh yeah, remember Bill stepped on that on that starfish, and we had to take him to the hospital. Right. But then some random person walks in the house, like and sees three people standing on a beach, and has no clue what the significance of that is. It's the same thing with art. Like right. half the people don't know what went into it. Uh, have you heard of Beeple? Beeple. Beeple. He's an he's a 3D artist that uses 3D models and stuff, and he basically creates a, a new creation every day and posts on um, Instagram. No. He was on Joe Rogan a few months ago, and he was interviewed, and he was talking about how I just do stuff because I thought it'd be cool. And all these people yeah. are looking at my art going, he's obsessed with this because he does this. I goes, dude, I, I, I made, a, I made a, a model of something made out of, out of dicks because I thought it'd be funny. And people are like, he's right. a deviant. He thinks of this. And he's da -da. making it for himself, too. Yeah. Like, he, he just took, he, he, he really takes, he buys random models and make stuff out of them and then just manipulates them and puts them up because that's what he did. And all these people are putting all this meaning is that there's no meaning to this. I just created something. It's like them and high school English teachers trying to create, trying to infer symbolism and, and, and themes and thematic elements from nothing. They did the same thing to John Lennon. What is I am the walrus about? I don't know. It sounds cool. It does sound cool. What does it mean? I don't know. So many songs that we like, if you ask the artist what the lyrics mean, they have no clue. Does that make the song worse? No. It just sounds good, and that's music. You're not going to call it Beethoven, but it's definitely good music. So, <clears throat> yeah, uh, continuing down this wonderful road of AI art, where's the... Let's... Uh... Let's talk about this SF Gate article 
$48,500 elephant in the room at a San Francisco AI art exhibit. Uh, the four dumbest words that can be spoken in any art gallery are, I could make that, but this exhibit proved a rare instance in which, in, in which that type of artistic skepticism was justified. The two pieces from 23-year-old L.A.-based artist August Camp, a black cosmonaut experiencing heartbreak. It's the first time I've said that, those words together. And an abstract interpretation of a synthesizer were aesthetically pleasing enough. To her credit, Camp shared her personal or her generic her general prompts openly for, but you promised. The words she fed into Dolly 2 were something along the lines of cosmonaut who is experiencing heartbreak on another planet. So I want to contrast this with the, the Banksy thing. Or like not the Banksy thing. There was like a banana peel that sold for a hundred plus thousand dollars in an art museum in Miami. How is that art? But this isn't. Because it was made by someone famous and they're gonna die soon. And therefore AI will never die, therefore AI art will never get, get any value. Well, I don't know, because every image is kind of unique. I do understand the sentiment of that person who tweeted about how, how uh, you know, AI artists are really nightmare clients, because that's exactly what this person did, August Camp. They uh, typed some stuff into Dolly 2, they found an image they liked, and they printed it out on canvas, and they put it in a museum. Is that, do they get credit for the work? Do they get credit for the style? How much do they get credit for? My inspiration was the prompt. Okay. Well, and that's a decent prompt. Cosmonaut who's, what was it? Cosmonaut who's experiencing heartbreak on another planet. But here's the other thing too. Well, I don't know how, how many controls you get in Dolly, but like I said, stable diffusion, the steps, the prompt weight, the model used to create the, the, to, to do the rendering, that all makes different, different pictures. I've taken the same prompt and ran through stable diffusion with minor variations just on the seed and the, and the model, and you get totally different outcomes. Hmm. So it's kind of like, you're, there's so many variables to this art that unless you have the exact settings and the same model, even if you use different, different models, like version 1.5 to 1.5, or 1.4 to 1.5 in stable diffusion, you get different results. Like, it's like a needle in a haystack situation. I would call this a medium. I would call this a meta-medium. That you get to use art as a medium itself to create art, if that makes sense. Yeah, because like I said, one of the cool things with these things, you can basically draw a stick figure. Uh, you know, you know the storyboards people draw for movies. Yeah, yeah, of course. You can basically do that, and then give it a prompt for that storyboard, and it will fill it in with actual stuff. Yeah. No, I mean it makes it makes sense, and and I I think that we have to find, it, it's it's really we have to we have to figure out how much control the quote unquote artist had over what was just left to the machine to really make it theirs. If they like, let's say they took an image from Dolly and then photoshopped it or drew on top of it or added more more artistic elements to it, that's really making it theirs. But on the flip side, I totally understand why should someone get credit for a search result. That's essentially what it is. It's like if you searched for something and then printed out the Google search results on Canvas and posted that as in an art museum. That's basically what this is. 
I'd you, buy that. Yeah, and people would. And who's and what's the problem? There's no problem. It's what people want. Remember, the customer is always right in matters of taste. That's the second half to the I only learned that recently. But oh. it's not the customer is always right. The customer is always right in matters of taste. So when you're talking about, yeah, someone wants to cr- print out a Google search result page and hang it on their wall, who cares? It's what they want. Why does that bother you? Well, it's not art. Who cares? Anyway, <clears throat> um, there's another guy in this article, um, another person in this article, uh, Alexander Rebin, Rebin, a 37-year-old based in Berkeley, lovely, who studied the inner, I guess this is SFK, who studied the intersection of robotics and pilfering from Steve Jobs. The intersection of robotics and art at MIT before becoming a full-time artist with commissions that include a sculpture for Meta's Menlo Park Lobby. He had one digital painting in the show, as well as two sculptures he built by following a description supplied by AI Text Generator. So, AI Text Generator, GPT-3. So, he says, basically, the AI is telling me what art to make. So he's kind of using it in reverse. Yeah, so there's uh, there's a model where you can feed it the beginning of a sentence and it'll write you a paragraph. Yeah. And some people Well, actually, I mean like I said but like I said earlier, that's how they, you know, you feed you feed 10,000 hours of Joe Biden in Congress talking and ha- ask them to write another Joe Biden speech. Mm-hmm. That's been around for a long time. Um, but see this guy this guy gets more respect because in my world, sorry, in my view, I think Personally, this guy deserves a little bit more respect because he, the AI, he is using it as inspiration. He's not just printing it out and claiming it as his own. So, <clears throat> uh, so what if you were an artist? The sculptures for sale for forty-eight thousand dollars. Jeez, and I'm sure they sell. People somehow have money for this stuff. Go on. So, what if you were an artist and you took your life's work? And threw it into a model and had to start generating art. I mean, for myself? No, for, for, for sale. If you put your life's work that you created through one of these AI art generators, then it's basically creating derivative works of yourself automatically. I don't see a problem with that. If anything, that's, that's, that's just an extension of your personality and your own expression as an artist. So, right? the question, so the question is, if you had a favorite artist and they did all this photography or they did some kind of sculpt, sculptures or whatever it was, the medium, and then you go to buy a piece of art and you find out it was AI generated based off of their work, would that make that art be less valuable to you because the computer I, generated from a derivative or... Would it be worth more to you? I have a real problem with the pricing of art. And I refuse to correlate an, a, a, a piece of art's value with its monetary value. In fact, uh, I have an old friend from high school that would only talk about art in terms of how much it's worth. That's the worst criterion. It's the worst one. So does this deserve, like, is it art? I would say it's art. Does that deserve to go for 50K? No, but I wouldn't pay 50K for a sculpture for a painting anyway, no matter who did it. It doesn't matter if it's made by a computer or not. I'm not spending that much money on that. No way. I've got a one foot by one foot white tile that has a sketch of an, of an ATA from Star Wars on it that I got for 20 bucks. That to me is worth more than these $10,000 pieces of art. Yeah. 
I mean, I there was um, what is it? Uh, a friend of a friend from college. He lives or used to live in Borough Park, and uh, which is a very very Hasidic neighborhood in Brooklyn. <clears throat> and uh, his art was he would take unfocused or out of focused photos of a computer monitor and print that out on canvas. So it's essentially a screenshot that's blurry. And I asked, I said, you know, that kind of looks cool. How much, how much do they go for? He's like $800. No, no, maybe $80. I dated a photographer for a while. You met her. I would laugh at whenever she told me how much she wanted to sell her stuff for. I'd say, I'd pay about 200 bucks for that. 200? This is like $3,000. Yeah, how many people are buying it, honey? Nobody. Guess why? They're not spending that much money on this art. Sorry. I like it. I love you. You did great stuff. I'm not spending that money. And other people won't either. Safe. And then the artist's heads get even bigger. And they go, well, I guess I'm just too good. I'm not respected enough. No. So I have a... Yeah. My friend and I had this discussion about selling AI art. And we both decided, I'd rather sell a bunch of AI art at $20 a pop than one item at $200 a pop. Yeah. Five bucks. Five bucks. Ten bucks. That's it. Because that's, I, that's, I, rather, cause I, I don't, like you said, I don't like the fact that I go to art shows occasionally with friends. Like, oh, let's go to this art exhibit, art, art thing. And I look at these pieces these people are making. I'm like... I can't afford this. How can anybody afford any of this? Like, they, nobody does. They sell one painting a year, and then they're broke. And then they complain about how nobody respects them and nobody cares enough about art. No, their egos are too big. Sell your stuff for 10% of what you think it's worth, and then you'll actually sell 10 times as many, and you'll make the money back. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't, I don't get it. And I think that's what prevents me from being a real artist, is... Uh, is that stuff. I also, the only thing that I created and actually got people to pay for were websites. I had a, created, I had a certain amount of creative control in those. Um, but guess what? Those websites aren't going for as much as the paintings that these people are talking about. So, yeah. <clears throat> and with that, I think it's time to end. Um, one thing that I'm extremely glad about is we did not say the words Elon Musk or Twitter. In the 90 minutes we've been on the phone. And we won't talk about it next show either. No. Nobody should care this much about what he does. However, there is one thing that sticks out from this. Which is, I didn't realize how good Twitter was. And I don't use Twitter. And, and I couldn't care less about I love watching it just to see how many people get triggered by what Elon also doesn't care about doing. But... Twitter had a pretty good handle on, on preventing fake accounts and preventing impersonations, and you didn't really know how good it was until this stuff happened. Mm -hmm. One of the podcasts I listened to, they were talking about how everyone's leaving Twitter. And the guy goes... Yeah, everyone's leaving Twitter. Yeah, just like everyone's here, leaving New York. Here, here's, Guess what? Here's the bet. Not. You'll love this part. He I'm going to leave the country if Donald Trump gets elected, yeah? He, no, Where'd he, you go? The guy was like, I grew up knowing about substance abuse, and I know addicts when I see them. You're going to quit heroin. Yeah, we'll see that. Look, I'll give you a week or two. You'll be back. Yeah. I mean, uh, Hassan Minaj had a, had a great bit in his latest stand-up special, which is, I think it's like a month or two old. It's on Netflix. Fantastic special. Fantastic. He's such a great comic. And I remember watching him grow up on The Daily Show. But, um, no, but he, I, I can't remember what the first half of it was, but he's like, he's like, 
I can see how you're tweaking. You're all tweaking without your phones because I took them away. And I see all your tics and, fa- and facial movements because you can't check out Twitter. And, it's, and he's right. We are so addicted to smartphones. And I group, like I said, I group all the people who are going to leave Twitter in with the same people that are going to leave the country. If George Bush got elected, if Barack Obama got elected, if Donald Trump got elected, if Hillary Clinton got elected, they're all still here. Leave. Get out of here. There's too many people. Go away. But they won't because they can't and they won't admit it. And that's why I like watching them squeal. What are you going to do other than laugh at them? And I don't use Twitter. I don't have a dog in this hunt. I don't care. And with that, it's time to end. So, Joel, did we get through all the stuff you wanted to talk about? Yes, we did. Great. Then do you approve this week's book request? Yes, I do. Wonderful. Well, then... Stay tuned for next week, where we talk about something else, hopefully in seven days. I guess that's it. Have a good night. (laughs) This has been a Pneumonium production. The views and opinions expressed on pull requests do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium LLC or its subsidiaries. Same music by Voltec.